Logo Geek. Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here. It's been close to a year since releasing a new episode, but you'll be happy to know that I'm back to recording new episodes. They won't be weekly just yet, but there definitely won't be such a long pause ongoing. Over the past year, I've been focusing primarily on prioritizing time with my daughter, uh, which has been a juggle alongside client work, Although she's now started school and settled in well, so it's now an ideal time to recommence the podcast. I think it's important to spend time with children when they're so young. So if you are a working parent, make sure to prioritize time with them. You can never get that time back, but you can always make money again. So I'm very fortunate and very thankful that my Logo Design Venture has put me in a position where I've been able to spend as much time with her as I have done over this past year. But now I need to get back to working hard. So aside from this and juggling my client work, one big thing that I have done since the last podcast has been to finally, after years of work, finish my book make a living designer logos which I successfully launched through Kickstarter and now I'm just a couple of weeks away from having a delivery of the very first batch of those books. That's been a massive ongoing project for years now and it's a really 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 big deal for me so I will be recording episodes to discuss that in more detail at a later date. Now it was actually the book that initiated this week's interview. In the past week I've started to collect together everyone's shipping details so that I can fulfill all of the uh, promises for the Kickstarter backers and after doing this I received a message from today's guest Rick Byrne. Now, Rick's someone I've known for several years now, as he's been an active member of the Logo Geek Community Facebook group, which is how we originally met. I've always admired his work and always fascinated by the logos that he's designed for Google. Although prior to this recorded chat, we've actually never spoken directly although he's been someone that I've wanted to get to know and somebody that I've actually wanted to bring on this podcast as a guest anyway. But anyway, so going back to that message that he sent. So Rick sadly informed me that he's been battling leukemia for the past year now and that he's only actually got a few weeks left to live. It's hard to know what to say when somebody tells you something like this, but given the situation, I decided to ask if Rick felt well enough to spend time to record a podcast so that we can discuss his journey as a designer. 
This is something he can leave behind to inspire other designers and something that his family can have as a memory. So we booked in the time the following day and a week later, this episode's now edited, released. So thankfully, he's able to listen to this himself and see the launch and hopefully see all of the uh, positive feedback. Now, in this interview, we discuss a lot. We start by sharing his journey as a designer, how he developed a passion for logo design, and how on the side of full-time design roles that he's been able to work with Google on more than 18 logos. We also take a deep dive into his process with a really great discussion around presenting options and how he chooses to present five logos. Before diving into the interview, I do apologize for my voice uh, with my little one now at school. I'm inevitably catching colds. So I do sound rather bunged up. I still sound bunged up, but we made it happen regardless. I really hope that you will enjoy this discussion as much as I did. So let's jump into this. Here is the interview with Rick Byrne. Okay, so I th- I think we need to start at the beginning, Rick, and I-, I think we should go right back to when you first got into design and why graphic design was a passion for you. So to start that off as, as a question, how did you first get into graphic design? <laughs> so in my final year of high school, the kind of sixth sixth form type equivalent in Ireland, because I'm originally from Ireland, now living in San Francisco, I took I had to take up one extra subject and I had a quite a funny teacher, Mr. John Kiersey. I still remember his name all these years later. And I was really enjoying doing one particular design project in his class, not having done art in like many years. And he saw my excitement and, you know, he asked, why do you like it so much? And I said, well, unlike every other subject I'm doing, there is no preset right answer. It's up to me to decide what the right answer is. I said, this is amazing. And he just said, well, you know, you can get a job called a designer doing this if you like this. And that moment transformed my life. I immediately applied to get on an art foundation year. And then from that year, I got into art college, the Dublin Institute of Technology, and have never looked back. And he'll, I never got a chance to go back and thank him. I can't find him online to even send him an email. He may not even be still alive, but it's one of those moments that totally changed my life. And if he hadn't just happened to have come around and I was so excited at the project I was working on, we wouldn't have that conversation. And I have no idea what I would be doing. I could have been in the army or something obscure, uh, but um, no, that was definitely one of the most transformative moments in my life. Sure, sure. So so you went down the route of going through Art Foundation and did you go to university to train as a graphic designer? I did. So I went to the Dublin Institute of Technology, which is 
still going. I've actually gone back there several times over the years to give a lecture, which is life after uh, design college. And I talk about what it's actually like to work as a designer and then become an art director and a creative director. I did that for a few years in a row and then COVID hit and I haven't done it since. Then um, I worked for two years and actually went on to do the Masters in Visual Communication at Central St. Martin's. Literally, we had an end of year show poster and it had each of our details on the back and one design agency literally rang every single person on the back of that. There was only like 22 of us, I think. And the first choice person, Fiona, was fantastic, but she decided she didn't want to work there. She wanted to work at a different agency. So apparently I was the number two choice and I got the job. That's a good place to be in. (laughs) I was like, yes. And this is an agency that used to do YouTube album covers and so on. So I was thinking, why didn't she take this job? But um, so Fiona and I are still friends many, many years later, about 30 years later. And we ping each other on WhatsApp every sort of second or third day. But it is funny how it's, you know, she got a job that she preferred and I got a job. I was imagining leaving the country because it was, let me think, the mid 90s. And I thought, oh, there's no jobs. I'm going to have to go to Britain and, you know, see what I can find. I did that anyway, but that was more part of a bigger plan to go to St. Martin's. Can can I quickly ask you something? Did this sounds sure. this sounds like quite an easy journey. <laughs> so you yes. you you went to school, you studied, you, you was interested in design. A teacher told you that you could get paid to do this. You did art foundation. You you went to college. So so you like all of that stuff is pretty. I mean, not easy, but it's like you don't need to make an application to actually. Oh, rather you do, don't you? Um, but it's not like getting a job. Get, getting a job is harder than going to university, I mean. Um, but yeah. landing a job straight after uni by not doing anything other than having your name on a poster, is it, it's an easier route to take. And uh, you're obviously very talented in order to land a position that quickly. So there's two flies in the ointment. That, my version, that version, makes it seem like it was very, makes it seem like it was very easy. Yes. So my portfolio was not great. So I didn't actually apply directly to graphic design or visual communication, as it was called in the college then. Right. So I applied for environmental design because I thought that would be easier to get into. So I, I did a year of that. I did get in. I did a year of that and I could hear all the graphic designers above us having so much fun and running around. And I thought, I kind of actually want to do what they're doing. Now, environmental design is like stage set design, interior design, venue booth design, things like that. So furniture design. So it was interesting design work. And I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But then when I heard how much fun, literally, we could hear them laugh through the floor so much. I thought, my class is not as fun as them. I'm going to apply to transfer. I'm going to apply to transfer to their year now here's fluke number one for some reason the college accidentally sent out the acceptance letters to the sort of a list and the wait list that year for the first year so it was oversubscribed right so they said oh so basically every everybody got everyone yes yeah. so again a fluke year for them too <laughs> people have said i'm remarkably lucky so 
what happened was they said, we can take you on the course, but you can only go straight into the second year. And I was like, sure, I'll take it. Thinking, how hard can it be? Mm-hmm. My, that Of the four years, that second year was the hardest year. And I had not done the first year. And the learning curve was incredibly steep. And a lot of the people who'd done the first year actually dropped out that year. Wow. And I hung in there with this dogged determination and passed in it. It was a massive struggle, but got through it. And then was able to go on to do the third and fourth year. So massive learning curve, massive fluke. So, but again, it's a fluke. Yeah. You can say that you got lucky, but you always create your own luck. Yes. You take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. There's being in the right place at the right time. Then there's also creating your own luck and creating your own opportunities. And you you made a lot of intentional choices to get to where you wanted to be. And it's always good to know that it wasn't that easy, that that you did need to put in the work and you didn't really need to uh, push through that. A lot of work. And it made me a much better designer as a result because I had to really. I was competing against people who were clearly more experienced and better. And I had to make it work somehow. I had to pass. Mm-hmm. So the second piece of fluke is that my friend Fiona said no to the job that she was offered to. She could have said yes. And then I don't know what would have happened. But she said no. So again, another piece of luck. So they said, okay, well, I was the second choice. And then she told me all this. I said, okay, I'll take the job. And... That was it. And then I worked there until I applied to St. Martin's. And funnily enough, at the interview for St. Martin's, when I was waiting outside the office to do my interview, I was chatting to this guy and Rob. Many, many years later, he actually was the best man for a wedding. We got on really well. But literally, we were two interviewees just waiting to be interviewed at St. Martin's. And uh, just to clarify, St. Martin's is like a college? St. Martin's College, Central St. Martin's, as it used to be. Right. Uh, and what was it that you studied there? Was that specifically graphic yes, design? Yes, what they case? call communication design. Sure, sure, understood. Okay, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about your, like how you progressed into logo design, because that's how I know you. You are somebody that's been active in the Logo Geek community, um, when I look through your social feeds, you share a lot of logo design work, but I know looking through your LinkedIn and to be fair, I looked through it for the first time yesterday. So it's been cool to see what your background is, but you've worked through a lot of different companies in, in that time. And I, I don't know where logo design fits into this, but it would be good to get a bit of background about your, I guess your, 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 your professional career, you know, what, what like where did logo design come into this? Yeah. What type of work was you doing in these places? So, it, I mean, if you could you know, sort of narrow down sure. that journey from how you eventually got into graphic design as a broad topic into sort of specializing in the area. Sure. So what I did was, so I got a job after going to college for two years, doing design work. It was fairly yeah. quick stuff a lot of sales promotion. So when I left college in London the second time after doing my master's, I then essentially, it was really easy to get similar jobs, which I did for a while, and then uh, all in sales promotion. And I, the odd time I'd have to do these kind of logos for these promotions. And looking back now, they're, they're to me like very tacky and they're kind of really sales focused. But they were a lot of fun. They were more fun than the rest of the design. And 
they were the kind of often more compelling part of the designs I felt. So then years later, I'm on vacation in San Francisco and I meet a girl in a bar who's now my wonderful wife, Stacy, <laughs> And I entice her to live in London for two years. And at the end of that, we get married and then we move to the States. And then from that point on, it was pretty much all tech companies. And what happens in a lot of tech companies is there are so many people involved because it's literally you're building kind of a living organic thing. So there's developers and web producers and there's your producers and so on. And there's like tons of people involved and projects take a long, long time to come to completion whether it's a small agency or a big tech company. In fact, the bigger the company, the longer the project comes to completion or doesn't even come to completion at all because some VP somewhere cancels it and it just goes away. And I found that these really long projects with long timelines and so many people involved were far less rewarding. Like sometimes you'd have something that would be rewarding, but it could take a year to happen. So I thought, you know, I remember those logos and I remember really liking logos and I've always liked logos. In fact, in the school library, I used to frequently withdraw these kind of American design books, like the equivalent of the precursor to Logo Lounge. And I just thought, these are so fun. Like British design is not really like this. I used to think of Irish design. I started investigating into, into Logo Lounge, which now at this point in my trajectory did exist. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, I think I'm going to do this on the side because I think it's so much fun. And, you know, I can just make up logos. I can apply logos to like redesign logos that exist already and just, just have them in my portfolio. Or I could start telling people, hey, I do logos. And when you start doing that, when you start putting it out into the universe, the universe always seems to respond somehow. Absolutely. <laughs> so it just, the logos just kept coming and kept coming once I put it out there. And so I ended up, now I've done a ton of logos for, say, Google. I think I've done about 18 for Google and other tech companies, as well as doing them for basically one-man businesses that are, or sorry, one-person businesses where it's just somebody in the garage trying to start, say, whether it's a publishing business or a gaming business, or uh, would you believe a Tesla detailing business? That is a super niche business, but that is a business I've done a logo for. That's electricjoy.com. And, you know, it's always just fascinating. And what I've found is, say, for example, even with all the Google logos, you're, you're not dealing with the whole company. You're just dealing with one specific team and their one specific need. Mm -hmm. So it gives you a kind of an insight into the inner workings of a giant company down to, like I said, the Tesla detailing business, which was for Dave, a friend who I used to actually work with at Oracle, who, you know, I really got to understand how, like, the locations of where his business was in relation to superchargers are and, like, Lots and lots of really obscure details, but it's just fascinating finding out about an individual business and essentially that's his dream and so on. And it's just, I found it much more fascinating. So I just kept going with the logos and I do uh, logos for like obscure things. And I sometimes I just reimagine logos and go, 
oh, that's quite odd. Say, for example, there's a chain of uh, food grocery stores over here called Whole Foods. And I changed it to Whole Food. And it's a little golf ball going into the O of one of the O's. O's in food <laughs> and so on. And it was just a funny, funny little thing. I put it online. And then I was amazed and uh, one day I opened up LinkedIn and David Carson, the David Carson, actually commented on how much he liked it. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and so I do a lot of little design gags as well, just for fun. Prior to going into those things, because I, I, I do want to talk about that as well. So based on your LinkedIn profile, am I understanding that the the logo design work that you're doing is on the side of? Yes, totally um, on the side. Sometimes the logos are part of the full-time jobs and mostly they're not though. Totally, totally on the sure. side. So, so we know that logo design was kind of like a, a hobby essentially, but you've done loads of stuff for Google. How, how did that happen? Where, I, I, how, how did you go from working for all these different companies to doing this thing on a side to somehow with that side project, getting all these projects from Google? How does that happen? Well, again, that's where the, the fluky part of my life comes in. My wife, who works at Google, said, oh, my team, like, they want, a, like, a logo and a name. Like, they want it to be branded. So I said, sure, I can do that. And did a logo. And then all of the kind of peer groups to her group said, oh, can can we get a logo from him too? And it's like, so obviously I didn't charge my wife, but then the other groups I got to charge. And it just became that this whole group of, I think, four or five teams then all wanted logos. So, so out of curiosity, so, so where did she share this? Was this on social media that, that she was showing it? Well, I think, well, firstly, it was laptop stickers and then they'd show up at meetings right. with this uh, funny, it's a funny logo of a cat with this gold chain wrapper style <laughs> because her team of, I think, 12 or so had different names. And um, it's a bit like when you put thing out for some thing out for a survey, you don't know what you could get back, like Boaty McBoatface. In this case, their version of Boaty McBoatface became the Meow Meow Moneymaker. <laughs> so um, not a strange name for a team at Google, but that was the name that the team chose. And they had stickers to match. And then the other team saw these laptop stickers and thought, oh, those are really cool. We'd like something similar. How did you get those? And I said, well, there's my husband, Rick. That's what he does. And from there, I did those other um, three or four teams. And then other teams saw those and wanted more. And then other teams saw those and wanted more. And then these different teams would have a large internal or external with vendors facing events. And they said, oh, well, this logo guy could do the branding for these events. Let's start with a logo. And it just became this thing. And I ended up doing quite a few logos for Google. It's kind of like this um, compound effect. Yes. There's so many similarities between a lot of people that I have on this podcast. Because logo design specifically is very niche. And it's not the type of thing that you can just go out and and get a job as a logo designer like that job doesn't physically exist I mean it, it, it might do in some companies but it's it's extremely rare that you could stumble across a, a, a job like that usually like full-time graphic design roles you're designing websites you're designing posters you're designing you know you're you're designing everything 
and you're expected to design everything and and creating a logo is 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 definitely incredibly niche and there's this thing that seems to happen when it's something that you enjoy and you start doing it and you start showing it what exactly what you said just happens and and you just happened to be in the right circle where there was the people uh that that worked for google just happened to be among the the circle of your partner and um that's that's how this stuff works you do good work you put it out there you show it to people and then it just keeps spreading and it's it's almost like it really is as simple as as long as you do good work and people can see it you are always going to get have work come your way yes always part of the people always 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 want it and in your case you know people at google saw it and they wanted it and they don't know a designer so they ask somebody who did that for you it's you i always say be the only designer in the room yes (laughs) and you was and who's going to get all the work it's also (laughs) you will get all of the work (laughs) it's a combination of everything you just said plus Say, for example, the larger the company, the more likely the internal design or brand team is going to say no when you ask them to do the same simple project as well. That's one thing I've seen repeatedly happen where it's just the internal team thinks, I just can't be bothered doing that that particular logo for you. And they just say no, or they say, okay, we can do that, but it's going to take six weeks because we just don't have the time. And then you, as the only designer that they know, mm-hmm. can say, yeah, I can do that in a week, if you like. And of course, if you're some team that doesn't really care where the logo comes from, which is most team internal teams, you're going to pick the guy or person, I should say, that can do it in a week. Yeah. And somebody who's much more, let's say, customer friendly, like you say, yeah, sure, no problem. I can do that. It'll just take me a week. And you know, we'll I'll quite happily you know, fit in a round or two of changes within that week and we'll have you done. Mm-hmm. Do, do you mind me asking, so so was you charging much for this? So initially, so that was kind of an awkward conversation because then it's like, because this was through my wife and she was sort of organizing all these, it's I knew I had to come up with a flat rate and then it's like, how much would they be willing to pay for? Because this was all going to be... Um, somewhat off the books Mm -hmm. so it's a case of we kind of i said well how much can you afford and so basically they came up with a number that was just under the radar of it being flagged for something that might need to be looked into and i said sure that works for me it was more than i thought so i said yep i'll take that and then uh, because i did so many it was essentially i thought now i've got to charge them all the same rate because it all goes through the same person now which was not my wife, but another person. Yeah. So it's like, okay, fair yeah, enough. Yeah. I, I mean, so with with this particular situation, and, and, uh, and like I said, your journey is quite similar to mine. You have a full time job already. Yeah. You you have the bills paid essentially because of your full time job, and you're in this position where you love designing these things, and you're you're able to do it. And I'm sure there's people you know listening to this thinking you know screaming like Ian this stuff has value but in a way those projects were of more value to you than 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 it was to them I guess and because it's Google everyone wants Google in their portfolio right (laughs) exactly and it was 
it was fun and it is it's definitely one thing i'll say for anyone who might be doing a google logo definitely hard getting all four colors into the logo and making it work but you don't have to in the, at the start of each presentation i would always show that not all of the google logos have all four colors and that's okay but really they wanted all four colors and the type is easy because it always has to be product sans so they're not as hard as you might think because you're really focusing on the actual icon and making the icon part work so what i found as well was that really you're trying to captivate something that looked quite googly like recognizably googly but at the same time appealed to the team and i found that kind of problem doing it over and over again I wouldn't say it necessarily became easier and easier because the briefs always remained obscure, um, but it became familiar. So that each time that I got another Google project, it was like, okay, like I was able to get past the, okay, I need to have four colors, I need to have it simple, I need to have it, say, rounded or looking like it's in the Google universe. That steep learning curve of the first project, like I'd already gotten past. So it's actually quite nice. I think I haven't counted them, but I think it's 18 logos I've done for them. Wow. And not all of them are in my portfolio, just the best ones. But it's sometimes I would throw in a fun option that didn't actually look like Google, which actually did get picked. For example, there was one team in Chicago that pre-pandemic they used to, if they had a problem, and they'd all kind of go down to this, a restaurant in the kind of ground floor of their building and instead of say doing the english thing of going down the pub and having a moan about the work problem they would go down and order rock shrimp and have a moan about the problem so and i didn't know this but i asked them at the very end of the briefing session so is there anything else like obscure or interesting about the team that you'd like me to know and it can be anything at all so they told me this story about going down and ordering rock shrimp and beers and i said and they had this phrase oh let's rock shrimp the problem so i said okay good to know so i'm taking notes so then i do this kind of i do various concepts which is you know exactly what they're looking for in the google style and so on but i also throw in this cartoon shrimp playing a clearly a rock a heavy metal like guitar because he's a rock shrimp and they thought this was so funny that that was the one that they picked. And it doesn't look googly at all, but it's the one that they picked and it's the kind of mascot for their team. Love it. And so that kind of leads me on to my next point, which is it's like, don't be afraid to add funny concepts in. I always show like exactly what the client thinks they're going to get. And it's usually a boring version just so that they can essentially not pick it. Because a lot of the time it's so boring and straightforward what they think they want that they're never going to pick it. And then I, from that point on, I make them gradually more and more interesting. And then I always have a completely, as the Americans would say, a left field, like not at all what they're expecting, but yet quite funny. And sometimes that concept does get picked. Interesting. Can, can I ask your thoughts? So sure. There, there is a consensus in the design community to present one logo. 
like this this seems to be the what I see as almost like the the holy grail of being a designer is the the ability to essentially uh, create the solution and present this one solution um, and solve the problems and this that and the other and I, I do I've 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 got such mixed feelings about it because I do like the idea of presenting options but I also do like the idea of solving the problem so like over this past year I've actually been experimenting with uh, presenting one and I'm ironing out uh, the the process and approach to um, doing that but what you've what you said here is um, y- you know essentially designing what you know that they would expect and what they would sign off and then slowly stepping away from that to something more left field as you said yes do you are you you very much in favor of doing this kind of thing where you do present multiple options but in a way to convince them to go down a more different route more a more radical route (laughs) yes so basically i want them to pick the crazy concept but they're never going to pick the crazy concept off the bat but if you show them a really boring concept yes then a less boring concept as you're going through the presentation, you're actually slowly upping the ante so that they're kind of like, okay, well, I definitely don't want that one, the first one. And I always make it overly simple, the first mm-hmm. one. And it's often what they've described as what they want. But then when they see it, it's like, no, that's too boring. That's not what, that doesn't represent us. But that's okay, because I say, you've got multiple concepts, don't worry. Um, so it's in an ideal world, guiding them towards that more crazy option now often they will pick something somewhere in the middle and i don't mind doing multiple concepts because essentially the the better ones i do actually put online or put on logo lounge or similar and there's often ones i'm proud of that aren't the crazy ones Mm -hmm. but when i say crazy they're more funny and obscure and for example i recently did a logo project for Bello Pizza. Now, Bello Pizza are these caterers in LA. And I did this as a favor for a friend. I used to work with him, Nick Frost. And essentially, I did various variations, tasteful variations on exactly what you might expect from pizza or pizza catering company. But then at the very end, so I had done this personal project, I think a year ago, where I was showing to a design friend that if you put a rodeo cowboy on basically anything like a banana, it's suddenly extremely funny. Just somehow it's funny. So I did this slice of pizza with the dripping cheese, put a rodeo cowboy on it. And I just threw it in as just a radical concept at the end, thinking they're never going to pick this. Why would they pick this and presented it? Now I had no idea of the two partners, one of them, loves to dress up as a cowboy any chance he gets goes down to the various bars in the castro in san francisco dressed as a cowboy that's his thing (laughs) they never mentioned that in the briefing session so they were like that's the one (laughs) and like straight away and now that's what they've run with and i've done more branding for them in that regard and like they've say the kerchiefs and the cowboy hats as their staff go around giving up things and they're um doing various things on instagram with that but i just took a chance I had no idea, absolutely no idea, because when I talked to him in the briefing, well, certainly he wasn't dressed as a cowboy, but you know, nothing in what he said gave away that that's what he did at the weekends. 
And so it's partially, again, fluke. And it's just a case of if you don't risk it, it's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I've taken the approach where I have the super bankable idea that they're never going to pick. I have the actual proper ideas, usually two or three in the middle, which are um, increasingly tasteful. And then the radical idea at the end, which is like the kind of like the bonus idea. And like I said, sometimes they pick that bonus idea and it really surprises me when they do, but I'm so happy when they do. It's one of the reasons why I, I still like to present options like i'm i'm really going back and forth with the idea because i've like i said i've been i've been experimenting with it and i've been trying it and th there are scenarios where showing one makes a lot of sense i, I mean and, and when i say showing one i'm not just going to die it's the logo i'm you know showing a journey and, and why i feel that 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 direction uh, makes sense as the solution but there's scenarios like this where you know that there's a specific expectation of what they're wanting to see, but then you've also got other ideas that could work really well and could be really fun or really interesting. And in those scenarios, it makes sense to kind of show show that the 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 one direction that will work and will perform well for them, and it you know ticks all of the boxes in terms of what they're expecting, and then to slowly take them in a direction that you know that. Like if you just said the idea to them without showing anything that they might be like, you know, slightly put back thinking, nah, I don't think that will work. But I always think it's it's worth doing it because I, I mean, I can give you an, an example. Like I've been working with a guy recently. He's still on in, in development, so I'm not going to use any names, but um, basically creating a, a music app. And uh, there was a specific direction that I know that he wanted to go down. There was a direction I thought is similar to the idea, but visually stronger that would work well. And then there was this direction, this third direction that I actually pitched to him on the initial call and he didn't like the idea, mm -hmm. but I decided to do it anyway. <laughs> and it, it was really interesting because actually in the end, he actually went with the direction that I, that I recommended that was the the direction that he wasn't particularly keen on it was more once he'd once he'd seen it he wasn't sure about it and he started you know sharing it with other people engaging feedback and yeah. i'm sure you know as designers that's always frustrating but it it was quite useful because you know some people either liked the second one in fact most people like the second one <laughs> barely anyone liked his one <laughs> Um, but a few people like that third direction and he was very close to going with the, what I would say is like the, the safe, but improved direction. And, and that I would have been cool if it went down that route, but it was, it was the fact that I kept kind of trying to convince him to go more down the, the different route and, and the, the more obscure direction because he asked somebody something along the lines of, uh, he asked. He basically asked them what their thoughts was of this third direction, and and the feedback was, "There's nothing out there like it, or or it's very different to anything that's out there." And it's the fact that they said that, and because of a lot of stuff that I've said about you know differentiation, standing out from the crowd, and um, you know, kind of disrupting the the the, the market. You know, a lot of stuff that um, comes up when you look into 
uh, Marty Newmar's brand strategy approach. You, you know, you, uh, I mean, di- being disruptive should be more about the actual business model that, than the uh, logo. But I, I use that as, as reference. And he eventually said yes to that direction that was very, very different from anything else that's out there that, that was quite unusual that he didn't particularly like at first. Um, so I always think it's good to show options and to to push in in different directions. So really, like my my personal process, I'm I'm kind of juggling between multiple approaches at the moment, just trying to figure out what I feel is right because I really do like the idea of options for this exact case study. Because if you was presenting one, you wouldn't have presented that direction, I don't think. No, because you would have presented the one that 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 you know that they would have signed off. Um, but actually showing that now they've got something that's, you know, slightly crazy, and you're able to build a slightly crazy of the uh, identity of the back of it, and that's the type of stuff that, you know, opens up doors because it gets noticed. It doesn't blend in with everything else, and and it's 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 worth. I really do think that in in a lot of cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases, it's worth showing options. Yes, I agree. And I think one key thing that people always forget about showing the options is, well, two things. First is the client often doesn't know what they want. Mm -hmm. So although they might say, I want this, and they essentially say they want a, a bankable idea. So... Um, you do that bankable idea and it's plain and they end up often unhappy because it's plain, but it's exactly what they said they wanted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the other thing is, one thing in with all my experience of doing logos is they always leave out really important details in that first briefing. So you can't get it right, unfortunately. Um, and it's, they don't mean to, they just, they know the business so well, they know so much that they just kind of forget to tell you. Mm-hmm. So by having this kind of, I call it bracketing, like in photography, remember old style photography grade bracket, you move the F stops and you take the same scene, but with a few different F stops. Mm-hmm. So I call it bracketing because it's like, you're trying to narrow down the realm of possibility. And I often see round one as, the start of a discussion rather than the finite endpoint in the process. Mm. A very kind of universal holistic approach to this where um, I kind of, I understand the client is not a creative. They can't really see what it is in their head. Mm. They don't really know, like, like your example where you described a logo that the client ended up liking the idea of, but they mm. couldn't picture it in their mind. Yes, so a lot of yes. the time you got it visually articulated. And I would I would add that is very, 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 very common that people can't picture things. I, I think um I, I don't know if it's an, an unusual trait, but um this thing that us designers can do, at least at least designers that I've I've met, I I, I might be wrong with this with this assumption. But most designers, when we have an idea, we can picture in our head fully formed. Yeah. Um, like we can pick pretty much imagine exactly what it's going to look like and you can try to describe it or even try to show a rough sketch but they can't see it they really can't see it until you actually do it um and i've you know i've got a client you know like it's like that at the moment that i'm doing some um 
some in interface design for i need to actually physically mock it up in order for, to, for them to understand what i mean um and uh yeah th this is very common so you know a lot a lot of the time with kind of conceptualizing things or or or, or describing things people can't exactly see it's, what it's we can our... see. I was going to say it's a magical skill. Yeah, I, I like this idea of having this um, phase where you're essentially having a conversation and agreeing on a direction and then progressing further. Yes. So often after I have the first presentation, which is often, um, I know some designers are going to hate this, five concepts. One, like I said, that's so bankable, they're not going to pick it. One that's crazy and three actual realistic options. Just so you know, I don't think designers will hate it. I mean, Aaron Draplin presents hundreds. Yeah, true. Just so that you know, I mean, Aaron Draplin is like one of the most famous. I mean, at least in the logo design space, like graphic designers, our favorite or, or most people's favorite designer. A lot of people put Aaron Draplin at, at the top and... uh you know he's presenting options i don't personally think that's good but that works for him yes and it's no different to what you've done where you're presenting uh five and having a conversation and narrowing it down it's it's very much the um in the uh, same, the same process yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's a good point actually i forgot but i think for him it's all about the conversation in many ways and hence so many uh, options and the conversation is um, can go in many directions. Mm -hmm. And I think, just based on what he's written and even on your own podcast about him, um, and I actually did a, a one-day course on logo design a few months ago through Drivel with him live. So a lot of the time I feel it is uh, the conversation itself and understanding the client Mm -hmm. is a lot of his kind of shtick yes. and um, I didn't realize that this this five option process that I do is similar it's a lot less mm -hmm. options than say Aaron would present yeah it's, it's less but options it's, it's, but it's very similar it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's presenting multiple directions in order to assist a discussion to agree on the right direction so that you can then proceed um, exactly and usually they have an option that they like from the five mm -hmm. and it's very rare that it's happened where i've had to go back to the drawing board and start all over again mm -hmm. i had to do that recently for a biotech company but it's very very rare very frustrating but a lot of the time you get to hear okay you didn't you want what you really want to say is well you didn't mention any of this in the kickoff call <laughs> But good to know. And then also the the feedback that you get, which is like, oh, I like this part and I like this part. I don't know about this part. And actually, you know, this part is going away now since we briefed you. And so I just think the one option process doesn't really take into account the client and the client's changeability or the client's um, inability to articulate what they really want i think with with this one concept idea and so, sorry sorry to kind of put some focus on this uh topic but i feel it's relevant to this so i've i've been experimenting with it and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't 
Um, and I feel a big part of that is primarily because I'm I'm not all in on selling that that idea and and that direction of work, and I, I think that's primarily why it doesn't always work. Um, but also, you know, I I, I just don't. I I don't think it always works because in order to work there needs to be a lot more work that goes into it in order to be able to factually say this is the solution and you need to go with it because of x y and z and and I'll just quickly explain what what I mean so I feel initially there there needs to be deeper strategy at the beginning so that you know exactly what needs to be done uh, uh and I mean, yes, you can do research and understand that. But I feel it needs to be very deep to really have a very thorough understanding of the situation. Um, and I, I don't go that deep on strategy, and I might do in the future, but right now I don't. Um, and also, when it comes around to selecting that choice, I feel that there needs to be a lot of uh, market research and data to actually factually back it up. And I think the the client needs to be committed to this idea that we're not looking to find a solution that they are happy with, that we are physically aiming to solve a set of criteria and have measurable success results uh, through testing so that you can get to that, that direction. And to do that properly, I would say that that would cost tens of thousands of pounds. And the the average client doesn't have that budget. Um, but, but in, in my mind, in order to do that one concept approach properly and to be really confident and credible about it, you have to do all of those steps. Um, so it's, it's why I'm kind of hopping back and forth because I really like this idea of, um, working to solve the problem by creating multiple directions and collaborating with the client on it. I, I, I really like that approach. Um, and I think that's that's probably the way that I need to go, whereby we still have this one logo at the end, ultimately, but there is this step in it where you where you almost describe it not as not as presenting the ideas, but presenting um, potential directions and having a discussion around it. I think that that's quite a nice way of framing it so that you can essentially discuss a whole load of directions give advice and recommendations, but gauge their feedback in the process. I think that's a really, a really nice way of doing it while keeping it at an affordable cost. <laughs> yes. And the, the clients like it because they're often used to designers saying, this is the design tough. We've run out of time. The deadline's passed. Mm-hmm. Like internal design teams to say various companies. Yes. Yeah. Then, so when it's more of a discussion, they're always pleasantly surprised. And at the same time, it shows that you, the designer, have essentially a more business-focused mind. This is the the chip on our shoulder we bear as designers, where we're often not taken seriously. We're seen as artists and we can't understand business. Mm -hmm. But this certainly elevates you as a designer in that you understand the business need mm-hmm. and in terms of this is an opening discussion hopefully something in here will be the one that's the solution for you or the starting point of a solution for you 
but it is a discussion. And they take you much more seriously. They, they treat you more like an equal, as opposed to an artist who has to be, say, endured or listened to or like somehow tolerated, which is often the terrible stereotype that designers get, especially in internal companies. I've seen it a lot in a lot of large internal companies that I've worked with. So you it's like I said, it's very refreshing to be seen almost as a peer by these yes. people who normally wouldn't do that sort of thing to create. Well yeah, I mean it comes down to like if if you position yourself in a way where you are the expert and and you and you are working to solve specific problems and you are having um intellectual conversations around business then you you do get that buy-in and and you can get that buy-in from the outset and i think that comes you know that's that's where the value is <laughs> really that that's that's what make, that's what makes you different from um you know the the the, the cheap stuff that's out there because you're not just throwing something together and hoping it sticks you're actually working to solve that problem and have discussions to see if you can you know push it push it to its extreme which is is really cool <laughs> yes and i i think if you if you really try to understand the core part of whatever the business is and then if it's like a sub team or something else product then try to really understand the core part of what that product mm -hmm. team does mm -hmm. then not only will they listen to you but you'll actually actually produce much better design solutions i also show uh this is something i've started doing recently um the also rounds so the outtakes so the logos that i didn't like as part of the presentation but oh, finished and I have a page of also rounds. And I also show them that because sometimes they go, oh, I like that. Now, they mightn't pick the logo, but it means that when we do the revisions or the round two, it's like, okay, I need to take an element from that one, that obscure one, and add it to this other concept. Oh, interesting. And so I call that the also rounds page. And it's actually, they like seeing it. And I also, as well, because clients, non-creative clients always love seeing it. I show my sketches. I show the actual sketch work at the end. That's... Mm -hmm. I've been doing that a lot recently, and it's actually very good to 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 do. Yeah, not all not all clients get it, but most do. Most most buy into it and love it. Yeah. And I have the sketches large, but then I also show a photo of the entire page, which is usually like an A six, sorry, A four page of tiny micro sketches. And they're like, mm -hmm. when they see that, they're like, oh, it always gets a and ooh, in the room. Wait, wait. So, so let, let's let's talk. So, so what what's a micro sketch? So, so explain what that is. So, it's really a thumbnail. So, my right. My I mean, how what size? Are, how how small are we talking? So, literally the size of my thumbnail. Right. Um, right. And there's like tons of them. Like there's probably about fifty to an A4 page, and then they're just like ooh, and it's like it's like uh, for example, they see a small glimpse into the like, your brain essentially mm. like the polished logos look like polished logos they're used to seeing polished logos in the world but they're not used to seeing say tiny tiny sketches that become the polished logo mm -hmm. and it's like they connect the dots and they feel like oh this is this is your craft this is your expertise and again they take you more seriously especially if you've talked about the core business 
mm-hmm. and their intentions as a team, what they hope to do. So they see, as Americans would say, I think from soup to nuts, you see like they get to see from A to Z. They don't really see the bits in between, but in their mm-hmm. minds, they think mm-hmm. they see A to Z. And they feel like they're getting better value for money, that like they're, they're actually seeing what's happening uh, it's, it's, it's interesting you, you you brought this up so um david airy actually recently sent out a, an email uh where he uh, shared his sketches through a blog and obviously has promoted that blog and he actually said in there that he on occasion he does present sketches to clients when he has multiple um directions but there was something and, and i'm gonna butcher exactly what he said but it was something along the lines of it's our job to show what works, not what doesn't work. And I, I found that quite interesting when it comes around to um, showing sketches. But it, it's, it's, it always fascinates me how different designers work in different ways, because I, I remember, um, you know, a few years back, I would never show sketches because it's like, oh, you know, that that's not the logo and, and a lot of people can't visualize a, a sketch. But actually, uh, I'm, I've been growing more and more in favor of, of actually sharing sketches um, and, and sharing them as concepts. Like I make it very clear that what I'm showing is the idea, not the final executed thing. And And I think you're right that actually showing a little bit of that you're you're showing a lot, which is cool. But I think just showing a little bit of that does it, it adds something to it. I I I think it's kind of nice that people can can see the the journey that you took to get to a thing, because they they become more committed to that thing by having gone through that experience than just seeing that thing. If that makes sense, it's, it's, in a way it kind of feels like you're more likely to get approval because they've seen how much work that's actually gone into it (laughs) or it's like say if you had a plumber come over and fix something in your house if you watch them actually do what they're doing um which is uh, whenever i have a contractor come over i always like try to to watch what they're doing it's like i want to learn how to do this yeah i feel bad watching but then at the same time it's quite nice to (laughs) you yes and then it's like okay this will save me a few hundred dollars the next time. Um, but it's also, they could be completely wrong, but you've got buy-in. Like you assume, okay, well, I watched them do it. Like this must yeah. be how you do it. Mm-hmm. And they could be completely wrong, but you know, you're know you sold on it because you saw them do it. Yes. Um, and there's that sense of like being part of the process. Yes. And I think that being part of the process is important because I think that, I, I think I think that's one of the key things really and I think that's that's one thing where I'm slightly against the idea of just going straight into just presenting one solution because they haven't really been involved in that process and I think if you can add in this step where you have this discussion of some kind which is why I really like this idea of um, you know treating that initial presentation where you are showing options as a discussion um, rather than a presentation uh, I, I think that's uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's an interesting take on it because you make sure that they're involved in the process, they're involved in those discussions, and then, and then you can take it from there. <laughs> exactly. You end up with a much higher success rate, I found. And because I'm usually doing these logos and working full time, mm-hmm. I need the efficiency of the timing to work for me. Yes. So I found that it dramatically reduces 
the overall time on the project. <laughs> so, you know, that that's exactly why I presented sketches in the last year, because I've, so I've spent a lot of time with my daughter. And uh, because of her age, when, when I have time with my daughter, I can't physically get any work done. And I've had situations where it's like, oh, I've got all of these projects that are just stacking up and, and I need to make some progress with them. And that's one of the reasons why I actually started sharing sketches because I I can come up with a concept and a direction really fast. And I can come up with multiple concepts and directions really fast. It's the it's the execution that takes time. Um, because I can take, you know, I, I can I can get a rough idea kind of sketched out in Illustrator quickly, but it's it's finding the best execution of that that takes time and selecting the right and and everything you know, that's something that and all the kerning yeah yeah i mean that that really that fine tuning the idea and finding the best execution of it that that's the thing that takes time but coming up with the raw idea not every time sometimes i don't you know sometimes i can sit down for hours and i i don't have that idea um but m in most cases i've got multiple directions really quick and and that's yeah. that's so, yeah. when i can sketch down an idea put it in a presentation record something through loom and send that over to my client so you know i can sit down and think oh dear god i haven't done this an hour later i've done something that buys me a bit of time <laughs> um but actually it's it's a lot more efficient when you can do that um so i i get it you know especially if you're working around a full-time job this is a much more efficient way of doing it that that's for sure yes and one other thing i also found is really good for clients that I forgot to mention earlier is I also then show the items on a, just a little bit of swag. It's usually a t-shirt and a water bottle or something similar because I've been amazed at how like you show your beautiful logo, nice white background. What could they possibly not understand about your logo? But then once you put it on a bit of swag, suddenly non-creatives can be like, Oh, mm -hmm. now I get it. And mm -hmm. it's essentially the same logo. And I found that that dramatically helped them decide. And uh, the first time it happened to me, I was kind of stunned that like, it's literally the exact same logo as the previous page, but mm -hmm. they just couldn't quite see it. They needed to see it on an object. And I found that that is a good little um, thing that takes up very, very little time, but really does help non-creatives grasp what it is about your logo and you know it actually helps designers as well so so a friend of mine he shared a, an idea with me a couple of days ago and i was thinking yeah the the the, the concepts there but the the actual execution of it isn't quite right and then he mocks it up on some images and i saw it and like oh that looks really good now <laughs> he didn't change anything yeah. it just looks so much better like there really is something about seeing uh, so, you know, so when, when you see a logo on a white background, nobody really sees a logo like that. That That's a really, really unusual way of experiencing a logo. Normally you would see a logo on, uh, in, in this case, uh, you mocked it up on like a frosted glass. It looks so good as as a frosted uh, sticker for a, for, for a window. Um, and then obviously once it's on clothing. So it's it's not just clients everybody like uh, when you see when you see a logo just in illustrator 
it never looks incredible. It only looks incredible when you actually see it in real life use. And, and I, 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 I don't think that's a small thing. I think this is a big deal. Like if there's anybody that's listening right now that doesn't physically mock up their logos when they present it, they are missing a trick. <laughs> exactly. And especially for if you're presenting to non-creatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, uh, like say, sometimes I've been hired by an agency to do something for an end client and never met the end client and the agency can see it. But mm-hmm. uh, most of the time, most logo designers will actually be presenting to non-creatives and they just yes. kind of need that extra step, I feel. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I've actually found times, so like I said, for, for many years, I, I've presented multiple options and there have been times where I put together uh, ideas and seeing it just on a white background in Illustrator, I've thought, you know, we've got one amazing idea, one that I really like, and then this other one that's just like, ah. and then I mock it up. <laughs> And there have been times, and this this has happened multiple times, where once I start playing with that on things, it looks so much better. <laughs> and you start yes. to see a lot more potential with it. You know, so sometimes I have some back and forth where I can see like how I could slightly improve that. But I've actually had situations where my least favorite idea has become my favorite idea once I've mocked it up so it's 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 worth doing even for yourself (laughs) it's all smoke and mirrors oh yeah absolutely well i mean it's not really because a logo you just don't see it on a white background you really don't like nobody ever sees that i I mean with the exception of maybe having like the 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 logo on a uh, on a tv screen or something like that in a in a hotel but in general you you never experience you, you never 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 experience a logo in that way it's always on a product it's always on uh, stationary is always on clothing some some device or something like that so you know or part of something that's larger messaging with type yes. or other logos yes. or some or just slapped on a photo or yes they're rarely ever in isolation as you say absolutely and i always find that nobody really looks at them in, in the way that you look at them as a designer it's always in the corner of your eye it's something that's just there because when when you think about it, I like and and um, I, I find this fascinating that logos is one of those things where um, they are literally everywhere. Like um, I'm, I don't even need to turn my head; I can just move my eyes. I can see one on my microphone. I can see one on my microphone stand. I can see the Zoom logo. I, I mean, I got my I've got my computer in front of me, and there's literally like fifty logos in front of my eyes without me even moving them around. They are like absolutely everywhere. Like there, there's probably more logos than there are human beings. <laughs> that like there's yes. so many around you, and why I say that is because this is how we experience logos. There's so many of them that you don't even notice them. They're just there, like in the corner of your eye. And, and you know, that that's how you experience them. So this is how you need to present them in, in that real life scenario so that, so that people do see it like that rather than seeing it as, you know, like a black and white shape on a white background, which is just not how logos are, are experienced. <laughs> that's true. 
And I think what often happens with, if you're the person who the logo represents or you work for the company or the business or whatever it might be, you tend to be really proud of that logo mm-hmm. and forget, and you kind of, because if you're in an office and that logo is everywhere and people are wearing the t-shirts, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of cult-like if it's like a tech company here in San Francisco. But then when it's in that kind of, world soup of hundreds of logos together it's like you want to find that app quickly or that whatever it is quickly and you can it's that signifier that they talk about in semiotics where there's so many logos i want to find this one particular one right Mm -hmm. now that they have to be designed so well and so well say down to the size a little app icon so that you can find that signifier so quickly amongst a cluttered world of logos. Mm-hmm. You know what I think we should do, and it's it's uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask. I think we should talk through your logo design process. I, th- I think that's something that we do need to go into because really a lot of what we discussed over the last you know, 15, 20 minutes or so is a lot of the later stage, the, the, the presentation side of it, which is obviously a fundamental uh, part of the process. But I think it'd be good to... Uh, talk through uh, to to close off this interview um the 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 rest of that process what that looks like for you specifically okay so i do follow a kind of set process every time and one is a i always want a kickoff meeting like a live kickoff meeting because the clients say a hell of a lot more than they're willing to type that is for sure mm-hmm. and it's good to get a sense of what they feel or don't feel. You can kind of emotionally read the room, even if it's Zoom. So so just to clarify, so so you we kicked off the project. Are you doing this versus a questionnaire? Yes, I've never had yeah. to do a questionnaire, um, luckily. Except maybe the odd time in my full-time roles, which are not logos. I won't, I won't go into that. <laughs> so then they've told me a lot about their product or service or team or whatever it is. And then I go off and do research just to kind of check because often there's stuff that they've left out or Mm -hmm. it just makes me feel that I understand it better. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I've done five logos for this one biotech company and I definitely have to look up almost everything they said because it's so technical and it's often engineers or actual uh, biochemists who are briefing me. And the CEO of that company is actually a PhD. Even the CFO is a PhD in chemistry. So it gets very technical fast. So I usually have to spend a couple of hours re-looking up everything in my notes for them, which is why they keep coming back to me. Um, Because I really understand then at the end of that process what it is they do and are trying to do and trying to promote with this one thing, and hence the logo that has to represent all of that. And then... I then move to sketches. So these would be on an A4 or letter size if you're American sheet of paper and do about 50 tiny sketches, each one literally about the size of my thumbnail, hence thumbnail sketches. And it's just trying to come up with ideas and hone ideas. And that process can take about an hour and a half. And I feel a little bit like Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind where my 
my eyes are flickering and my hands are moving so fast. And then at the end of it, I've got like all this stuff all on one page. I try to make it fit on one page as a just a weird, obscure thing that I do. I don't know why, but it somehow it forces me to think harder. I don't know why. But um, and from that, I usually come up with five ideas. One will be super bankable, but is so simple that the client is never going to pick it. It might be what they said they want, but actually they don't want in reality. There will usually be one that is super crazy and I'm going to do it anyway because I like how it's kind of fun and different. And then three that are actually a lot more realistic and much more what the client is necessarily looking for. Then I put the piece of paper down and I deliberately don't do anything for a day or two. So when I first started doing this, it kills me. It kills me during that 24 or 48 hours because I really wanted to start getting on the laptop and doing the work. And then I'd come back to it and I'd relook at the ideas and go, actually, this one is terrible. And this other obscure one that I kind of ignored is actually not bad. It just needs a tiny tweak. So I found that process really improved the quality of logos that I did, like literally not doing it, not doing anything. So sorry to interrupt. I, I find that really interesting because I've heard people do what they describe as like an incubation period, but I've never heard yeah. anyone do it after doing sketches. <laughs> well, I found that in the rush to go to, say, to Mac them up on a laptop, you're not thinking anymore. You've stopped thinking. And that thinking time, which is actually you not doing anything in particular, you're literally sleeping on it. Your subconscious will mull it over or just the gap makes you see things more clearly. Instead of just rushing to do these ideas, which is what I used to do, and then they're flawed. Mm. So definitely found it actually saves time. Doing nothing saves time in this particular process. Interesting. So then I start matting them up and you're know, finding that, oh yeah, this is kind of a terrible idea or this is a much better idea. You know, you play with it. You essentially, this is the kind of stressful part, but it's also the fun part at the same time as it all begins to come together. And then like, if I do a logo, especially the, the usually the, the fifth logo, the fifth element, the one that is kind of crazier and a, that I'm assuming the client won't pick, but they might, then my kind of measure of success is if I look at it and go, wow, did I do that? Did somebody else do that? Like if it feels like somebody else did it, like in a good way, that it's so good, mm. I think, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely the one. And this doesn't often happen with every project, but um, I definitely feel that's my kind of internal measure of success that I feel like I've gone further creatively or it's more polished or it's just a better idea than say ones I've done before. I always feel, ah, oh, yes, that, that's the one. That's, that is the one that I like. Mm. And then, you know, you go through the process of presenting to the client and they don't necessarily pick that one that you love, but oh well, such is our lot as designers. And then throughout the entire process, I actually watch movies and tv shows yes i wanted to ask about that because I, I found a video <laughs> i found a video yes, where you got interviewed. yeah but it's hilarious because it's it's like i don't know how old that video is 
it's probably not even that old, but it's the DVD version. Yes. <laughs> the DVD version, which is really strange now. Looking back, it's like, that's not even that long ago. Is it like six or seven years ago? It's not even that old, but it's really funny well, to it's... watch because it's the DVD version where you could, um, you know, it's, it's that hybrid time between being able to go to a video shop and everything being online um but anyway sorry to interrupt that so i i think we need to talk about it so, so you watch movies yes while you're designing yes because i found that and i picked this up this idea up from a actual a college lecturer who used to teach us airbrushing so he would get these advertising briefs in the evening he'd go to this is so long ago he'd go to the video store he'd get about five movies Mm-hmm. And he'd work on, he'd have to work on the project overnight. He was super reliable at emergencies. So he would put on movie after movie after movie to stay awake during the night. And this would keep him occupied as he airbrushed. Again, airbrushing, gone, videos, gone. But, um, and I thought, oh, that's so cool. And then I returned to that idea years later when you had so much more access to media. And I found that what tends to happen or for me anyway is there's two parts of your brain one part is the kind of artistic craft part it kind of knows what to do it just has to get on with doing it and then there's the more cerebral intellectual part of your brain now the set that second part the cerebral part for me anyway will keep second guessing what the craft part is doing unless you essentially paralyze it by giving it a movie to watch. So I love like murder mysteries, things that need to be solved because that part of my brain, even though I'm not really trying to work out the crime, that part of my brain is essentially distracted. So I'm curious, are these, are these films and TV shows that you haven't seen before? Yes. That's interesting because I would get really distracted because I'd get like really into a part and like, oh, no, I want to see what happens. I, I, <laughs> I'd end up not getting well, I, anything I wouldn't, done. <laughs> I wouldn't say my retention of the show is very good. Right. And it's also right, documentaries right. as well. Oh, okay. So I'm actually extremely good at pub quizzes because some of these facts <laughs> actually stick. And I don't even know where I picked them up from. But um, in the last two years, I've been on two different pub quiz teams and gotten some really obscure questions right and i'm like i have no idea where i learned that but i know this is a violence um and so and i actually learned that from that college lecture and also this uh my first job there was a photographer below and i was in his studio one day he was taking photographs and i noticed all these dvds on the wall and i said oh these these are all porn like what's What's with that? Like, it's just on display here. And he said, okay, well, I'm, when I'm doing advertising projects, all these execs, not even the creatives, but these execs come down and they want to interfere with everything. And I build out the photo shoot for a certain amount of hours and it takes more hours and so on. But what I do is I just casually stick on porn at the start of the photo shoot. And these guys, because this is back in the days when it was usually just guys, um, would all gather around and then I'd say, Oh, does this look all right? And they just glance over and go, yeah, that's fine. Keep going. And it just basically was to stop them interfering with the photo. <laughs> that's hilarious. So it's a similar process where it's like, my mind is like 
stop interfering just let the craft part of the brain do its thing and like and then you know like i have the sketch uh, like we mentioned earlier we know what it should look like as designers we just have to get there <laughs> i'm sorry to interrupt i'm laughing here because it, it made you made it sound like you're sat there watching porn while designing no definitely not <laughs> i know i know okay. i know i know i'm just I'm, i i just had to say it <laughs> yeah my the content i like is like thrillers murder <laughs> mysteries documentaries about say uh, historical subjects Definitely not porn, but to me, all these historical subjects are like porn. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to know about Vespasian's March North or whatever it might be. I need to try this because I I really like watching documentaries, but I never make time to sit down and watch them. And actually, it's the type of thing where you don't really need to focus too much. No. And you can get other stuff done. And like like you say, you you do end up having a lot of doubts and insecurities and you start to question yourself and actually I want to try this. I want to try this to see if this would work, you know, if it would, if it would make me more productive. <laughs> I would highly recommend um, a lot of the documentaries you have on YouTube. Say for right. example, uh, during COVID, I watched a ton of nerd of the rings and learned an obscure amount, a large obscure amount of Lord of the rings, which I've probably subsequently forgotten, but it was fascinating. <laughs> Um, there is a TV presenter and producer that talks a lot about history or interesting facts called Simon Whistler. Right. And I actually love his voice and way of talking. And um, his videos tend to be about 20 minutes long. And you could start with biographics where they take a, a historical figure and talk about them in 20 minutes. So they're absolutely fascinating. And then you're not really locked into it because it's not going to be a long movie, say, if, you know, you've got limited time. And then when it gets to the end, it's like, here are 10 more historical figures. Which one would you like to, like, watch about? Yeah, yeah. There's probably loads on YouTube as well. Exactly. So I found that without that, then I completely mess up projects. Interesting. Because it's like, no, that kerning, it's wrong. No, it's right. No, it's wrong. Uh, and that paralysis I found is not good and then so i do have what i call the macking up process where you just sit on the mac and you like make it happen mm -hmm. you make the magic happen and then again i put it down like i really want to send it to the client then but i put it down i wait a day i come back i relook at it a bit like with the sketches and go yeah, that one is not so good. I need to change the kerning or whatever it might be mm, or flip mm. it the other way. Or I look at, say, there might be one standout idea and I go, wow, did I do that? And I kind of give myself a slight pat on the shoulder because I, I don't believe that I actually did that. In the blur, mm, the mm. haze of hours of working <laughs> on it and watching documentaries, it's like, did I do that? I kind of forgot. Oh, yeah, that's great. You know, I, I always find it funny when, when, you, when you leave time uh, look, looking at a project so I, I don't do incubation periods as much as I should um, I I once I've finished something and got the presentation ready and, and I feel it's good in that moment I will just send it um, but actually I, I, I probably should um, you know hold back yeah. just to make sure that I can get it perfect thankfully I, I always have time in projects to fix that because there, there's always uh, time where, where the client's away 
but I actually got back to a project recently where I haven't heard from the client in like six months. He 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 needed to put the project on pause because he, he uh, he's been planning a wedding and lots of things, so he he's had a lot going on, and and that's totally fair. Um, but I remember uh, creating this logo, and I felt it was good, but there was something about it where I was like. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is right. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's good enough. Client will like it, but I don't like, it's not portfolio worthy. And then I didn't see it for, you know, months. And then I came back to it and I opened it and like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> and yeah. it's funny seeing things with a fresh pair of eyes where, where you, you can, like, because, because you haven't looked at it. Cause it, when, when you're designing something, you can get really absorbed in and, and, really fine-tuning on like minuscule things um but when you step away you can see it with a fresh pair of eyes and and you can see you can immediately see things that are not right but then likewise you can see the opposite of that where you can see what is actually working really well and uh you know i think i think that's a really good takeaway from this yes and i think it's always good now i actually have to go I actually have a, a rabbi yeah idea. no worries at all so what i think we do we we will wrap this up but it's been an absolute honor to be able to chat with you i'm so thankful that we've had time to be able to do this um it's good to finally chat with you and uh this has been really fun so thank you so much for um making the time to do this i I appreciate it and i hope that uh people listening uh appreciate it too it's been fantastic chatting with you as well it is kind of always amazing how much you know about logo design that you don't realize until suddenly you have to open your mouth and talk about it. So it's been fantastic. I've, I've actually learned something about me in the last hour or so. I'm glad, I'm glad I've been able to ask questions and uh, pluck the hours. It's always enjoyable for me too, because I, you know, real life, I don't get to have these conversations, even though I've got loads of graphic design friends. You, you, you seem to talk about things differently when being interviewed. That's true. You get to more of the meat, essentially. Of the conversation. Exactly, exactly. Rick, I know that you'll be listening back to this. So thank you from me and everyone in the Logo Geek community for taking the time, time which is so incredibly valuable, to gift us with your lessons and advice. For those listening that want to support a charity... Rick has suggested for donations to be given to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which you can find by heading to lls.org. Rick mentioned to me that he's raised the most amount of funds for them in Northern California last year, which is an incredible achievement. So I hope that listeners who have enjoyed this discussion will help to support Rick's work. So again, if you do want to go and support that charity, head to lls.org. So that's the end of today's show. My focus over the next week or so will likely be finalizing and fulfilling everything for my upcoming book. But I promise I'll be back with a few more episodes before the year comes to a closure. So for now, I'll see you soon on another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.